Well, good morning. How's everybody? Yeah, well, Merry Christmas. We can say that now, you guys, okay? It's December 1st. Thanksgiving is over. And we can all be on board with the saying Merry Christmas. And it's funny because the month of November is like this battleground between Christmas enthusiasts and Christmas traditionalists, okay? The enthusiasts, they hit November 1st, they're putting up the pumpkins and the demon decorations and they're putting up Jesus and, you know, Christmas songs and they're jamming Kenny G's Christmas album. They're watching Elf and White Christmas and just being holly jolly all month long. And yet the Christmas traditionalists are on the other side just hating this group. Like you are stealing from Thanksgiving, okay? You don't do any of that Christmas stuff until the Friday after Thanksgiving. Then we go get a tree. Then we can listen to music. Then we start doing red and green. Don't come at me November 2nd with your Christmas lights on your house. That's uncalled for. Now me, I don't have a passion either way, okay? So I kind of fall in the middle. All right, now I love Christmas. I do believe it's the most wonderful time of the year. I get excited, it's, it's just amazing. I love the whole season, but I got respect for Thanksgiving, okay? Because it's a day where we can eat all day, calories do not count, and you get some time off of work, and you get a little family time, but not too much, right? It's like, okay, you've had your turkey, now go. But I like it. So what we do is, uh, because we're, we're kind of busy around Thanksgiving, we'll, we'll set up Christmas a little bit um, before Thanksgiving, listen to a little bit of holiday music, but not much, but definitely don't watch any Christmas movies. But let me tell you, Thursday night, I'm watching Christmas Vacation, getting into the spirit of the, of the season, okay? That's what I do. Now, Christmas is exciting, isn't it? It's an exciting time. It's, um, we all have this idea of what we want the season to go like. We, we're you know, it's family, it's gifts, and we can just picture ourselves around this, this wonderful table where everybody's getting along. We've all got our, our festive sweaters on, and everybody is just happy. Kind of like this, right? Maybe we have this idea of like, oh man, this is great. You got the mom in the back who, I don't, she's got her glass of wine, and I don't think she's engaged at all. But, and then the granddad's happy to play with the selfish little girl right here because, you know, he never sees her. But we have this idea that, man, this this is great. This is what Christmas is all about. That's not the reality though, is it? The reality is that Christmas is stressful. Christmas is busy. And we look a little something like this, right? I know some of y'all were out there on Friday or Thursday night, you know, just getting your $200 50 inch flat screen. I believe it. Okay. It's, it's chaotic, isn't it? It can be stressful. You can worry about things. It can bring out all this anxiety. But regardless of what your reality of Christmas is, it is an incredible season, especially for your kids. Now, my kids, they love this time of year, okay? Their behavior is off the charts. They are, I mean, let's, I can be honest, I love my kids, but they're bad sometimes, okay? So January through mid-November, yeah, you know, they have their moments, okay? But I'm talking about like mid-November, right before Thanksgiving until, you know, December 25th. Their behavior is good. I mean, they're humming, you know, Christmas songs. There's, there's a little pep in their step. They're being nice to each other. Their grades are going up because they're thinking about all things Santa. There's a lot at stake here. And I've got to be good. I've got, I've got to get it, get it right. Now, as we, as we talk about kids in this time of year, I want to ask this question. Now, how many, how many married people have we got in the room? How many married people? 
<laughs> yeah, all right. We love marriage in here. Um, how about the single life? Where y'all at? Yeah, yeah it's all, you can be excited, you know, right? You, you take care of yourself, it's fine. Now, how many married people have children in the room, okay? Okay, now listen, here's what I want you to remember, okay? I want you to remember what it was like when you didn't have kids. Can, <laughs> somebody just gave a satisfied, mmm. Oh, that was a much simpler time, wasn't it? Now, listen, I love my kids. In fact, I would say that I'm obsessed with them. I'm probably obsessed with them more than anything other than my wife, Shannon. Uh, but one day they will move out and we'll celebrate. But I love my kids. But can you remember what it was like when you were first married and you didn't have kids? Now, if you're single or you're a young couple who doesn't have kids, or maybe you might even be empty nesters, you experience all the time now what I'm about to describe. Because when you go back and you remember what, what your life was like before kids, like every night was date night, right? If you wanted to go somewhere, you just got in the car and drove off. That was awesome, right? But now if somebody suggests going, you know, let's say to the mall. Now we went to the mall when we were a young couple in December. We didn't know what we were doing, but yet we thought it was a good idea. Let's go to the mall in December. But now when you go somewhere and you have young children, it's a journey, Okay? It's a very dark journey because when you go somewhere, you've got to strap your kids into this like prison-like device in the car seat, right? And you've got to make sure that they're dressed appropriate. Do you got the right shoes on? Do you have two shoes that are the exact same? Are you wearing socks? No, you can't wear your pajamas to the mall. Get dressed. No, you can't have a snack. We just had lunch. Will you please get in the seat so we can go to the mall? It's stressful. By the time I get to the mall, I'm exhausted. I don't even want to be there anymore. And then when you get to the mall, it's finding a parking spot. It takes an act of God because most mall parking lots in December look like this, right? They're like, what? Dude, go to the zoo or something, right? What are y'all doing here? Get out, let me have a spot. And then if you do get a spot, that's when the party just gets started because you get in the spot, and you've got to get the double stroller out for my older two, right? And, and then you get the smaller stroller for, for my baby, like the infant. And there's always this sense of panic that comes in because you're in a parking lot. There's no, like, safe zone. And so you're trying to get it. I'm like, babe, I can't, I can't get it open. I can't get it open, right? And you're like, Noah, wait. You know, he's running off, and then a car comes up. There's always that car that comes up and puts their blinker on because they think you're leaving. And I'm like, no, uh, we're going in. Yeah, no, we're going in. And they wave like, all right, yeah, cool, thanks, we'll wait. You know, I'm like, no, we're going in. Noah, get back here. Noel, don't eat that off the ground. That's disgusting. Please get in the stroller, right? And then you get them in the stroller and you've got to like throw all these backup snacks and little bribes to make them behave while they're in the mall. And then while you're in the bottom of the stroller, you pull out that diaper that's been there for probably a month. And it's got this ungodly, illegal smell. And you're like, oh, babe, what is this? This is disgusting. Meanwhile, the car is still there with their blinker on, now looking annoyed. I'm like, we're going in. What is the matter with you? Are you an idiot? <laughs> Shannon goes, we've got a bridge.me sticker. Right, God loves you. <laughs> no perfect people allowed. We're going in, right? Yeah. You're laughing because it's true. <laughs> Because this time of year is so busy, isn't it? it? There's just always, no matter what event, whether you're going to the mall or you might just be even going to school, it's, it's just a process. 
It takes time and it takes effort. What I love about this time, this, specifically this weekend, I, I was a student pastor for a while, and so a lot of students that I had in student ministry are in college and they're back, you know, this time of year. And it's hilarious when they tell me how busy they are. They're like, oh, yeah, man, life is so stressful. I've got a, a final in my bowling class this week. Yeah. It's going to be tricky. And my dad's making me think about getting a job next, next semester. I, don't, I just don't know how I'm going to manage it all. I'm like, oh, really? Really? You don't know how you're going to manage it all? Sounds stressful. How about I drop my three kids off at your house and you tell me how you're going to manage life, young man, right? It's funny. So we just need to pray for them because they are busy. And um, I mean, I was there at one point. But we do get busy. And, and really, we handle it differently. People handle it certain ways and other people handle, handle it different ways. And I want to share a story with you this morning that kind of describes two different types of people. And, and it's a, a story with Jesus and a family that he dealt with a few different times in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, I just want to read this story, then we're going to break it down for us. This is in Luke 10, starting in verse 38, okay? It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner which she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. She's, she's tattling on her sister. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. So we've got two different characters in this story here. We've got two different people, two different personalities. We've got Mary who's just sitting and soaking in everything Jesus is dishing out. She is loving it. She is getting so much. And then you've got Martha who's like walking, you know, you know that look like, are you just going to sit there? You ain't She's, she's getting the, the cookies ready and the hummus and the, and the pita bread and she's getting ready for Jesus and she gets a little salty and she's just coming and you just see this tension in the house. You've got Jesus in the flesh and yet there's still this tension between these two people and I think we are all familiar with tension in the home, especially when there's guests around, right? My kids will ask, like whenever we're cleaning the house, they're like, who's coming over? I'm like, shut your mouth and clean your room, right? Just do it, right? But there's this tension here. And I think when we read through this story, most of the times that, that I've heard this story or that somebody's telling this story, Martha gets a bad rap, right? She gets, she gets, she's kind of the, the bad guy in the story because, it, you know, you see Mary, she's, she's got what's right, and Martha, she's got issues, okay? And, and if you're new to church and this whole Bible thing, you never want to be complimented like, oh, you are such a Martha, in the house of the Lord. Because what they're doing is like this backdoor insult that you're too busy, you're distracted, and you're not as spiritual as you need to be. You always want to be, oh, you are a Mary, aren't you? You've just got this Mary type spirit where you're just sitting and listening to God. You're so spiritual. And Martha, she just kind of, she gets the, the negative part of the story. And, and I think that's kind of unfair. I think that's kind of unfair to Martha that, you know, she's been misrepresented throughout this story. But we see that Mary is sitting here lounging, listening to Jesus, and Martha is paying the bills. Because 
here's, here's what we know. Go back to Luke 38. Look at this. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Oh, I get it. Mary's a freeloader. She is mooching off Martha. Martha's got a stack of bills in the kitchen and Mary's in the living room ordering an annual subscription to Disney Plus, eating Martha's food, just sitting there. You see, it's easy to be Mary when you're not Martha. It's easy to be Mary when you're not Martha. I remember when I was single in, in college, when I was super busy, and... Um, Man, there would be times where I would just become, I'd just become a follower of Jesus. And I, I grew up in, in Nacogdoches where Stephen F. Austin is that they beat Duke this week, but whatever. Um, thank you for clapping, ma'am. I saw you. Um, Google it. It happened. But I remember when I was in, in college and I didn't have any responsibility. And so I would go out to Lake Nacogdoches and just sit under the stars and put on some worship music and just sit at the feet of Jesus. It was, it was just incredible. But then... I grow up a little bit and I get more responsibilities, more opportunities come my way. I get married. We have multiple children. We have to get the calendar in order, make sure the schedule is lined up. And those merry moments have now turned into Martha type moments. And I know some of you might be looking at me and you're thinking, okay, I've seen this movie before. I, I know listening to this story where you're going with this. Because you're going to tell me that I'm in the, in the kitchen too much, I'm in the laundry room too much, or I'm acting like an Uber to my kids, and you're going to tell me that I need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus when I don't even have time to sit at all. And if we go down the rabbit hole even further with these two ladies, look at the meanings of their names. Look at Mary. Mary means beloved. Wouldn't we love to be that? Just describe like, oh, you are beloved. Like God loves you. It's just so poetic and just moving and just so spiritual. Martha, this is what her name means. Lady of the house. She's getting the bills done. She's the practical one. She's making sure everything's in order. She's making sure everything is taken care of. Mary has got her head in the clouds and Martha is making sure everything is good to go for the family. Now, I can poke a little fun at Mary's because in my house, I am definitely the Mary, okay? It doesn't matter what day it is, what time of year it is. Any day you could come in my house and you would see me lounging on our couch watching Netflix or now Disney+. Plus. It's incredible, right? And Shannon is making sure our kids are alive. She's making sure that our house is in order, that it smells great, and that everything is going well. And the funny thing about this Mary-Martha relationship is that sometimes I'll get a little, you know, sassy, and I'm like, babe, you just need to chill, relax. That always goes over well. And just saying, just, you know, and I think Marys do this, don't we? Like, if you're a Mary in the room, and that sounds weird if you're a dude, just go with it. But you can just say, man, just, just relax. Just come and sit at the feet of Jesus. I mean, it's hard to argue with that if you're a Martha, right? But you, you think about it. And again, no matter if you are a Mary or a Martha, maybe you are a Mary and you're in here and like you've already kind of nudged elbows with somebody, like, you're definitely a Martha, relax, he said so, right? Or like, you're a Mary, do something. No matter who you are, 
You could be this Mary and you have this joyful attitude and you do find time to, to sit at the feet of Jesus and, and you have this incredible relationship with God. No matter who you are in this story, we all have Martha moments, don't we? Because life happens to all of us. We all have to grocery shop. We all have to go to the doctor. We all have to schedule a date night. We all have to exercise at some point. We all have to make sure that our careers are on the right path. We get so many things on our plate that we have to have these Martha type of moments. And then we read a story like this. And again, we, we feel that tension. We feel this tension because we see that, that Jesus is, is, is talking to, saying Mary is doing what's right. And Martha, you're stressed out, and we just think that, again, that Jesus is almost getting on to Martha. But that's not the case. That's not the case. He is not getting on to her. And we saw in this translation, it said, my dear Martha. In other translations, you'll hear her say, Martha, Martha. Now, Jesus wouldn't have said her name twice, but the translators, when they're translating it into our language, they would have put it twice to emphasize how he said her name full of empathy, full of compassion. Martha, you're so stressed out. Man, don't, don't, Mary is doing right. She's doing the best thing, which is to be with me. He never gets on to Martha saying, you need to be a little more like your sister, Mary. You, you, need, to, you need to just come in here and sit. No, no, no. Jesus understood the roles in the house. He understood the personalities that he's talking to. He understood that Martha was the lady of the house. He understood that she needed to put the flowers out. She needed to put the plug in in the bathroom. She needed to make sure everything was set out and ready to go. And that Mary was going to sit and she's going to lounge and soak in everything. He says, Mary is okay, Martha. Mary is fine where she is. She's, in fact, she's doing the best thing. And before this moment, I mean, you can see the scene. You can see the anxiety and, and how Martha is just overwhelmed. You know, she's just kind of getting the food ready. She's preparing this big meal. And don't get me wrong, Martha loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. She wants to hear what Jesus says. She wants to be a part of the living room interaction, but she's torn because it's Jesus. He's probably hungry. They had to walk everywhere. And she said, if I don't make the meal, nobody is going to make the meal. So Again, she wants to hear what Jesus has to say. But when we kind of speed through this process, we kind of mischaracterize Martha a little bit. And we think that she's just this mean, terrible, shallow person of just like, oh my gosh, I'm tired of all this work. And Jesus keeps going on and on. Give it a rest, Messiah. Okay. No. She wants to hear. She wants to soak in everything. But then she sees Mary doing that, and she, she snaps a little bit. She goes, Lord, isn't it unfair? Another version says, Lord, do you even care what I'm doing? Do you care that I'm doing all the work? And I think, too, if, if we're honest, she said it in that moment, but that's kind of what we can say in our lives, isn't it? God, do you not care that I'm serving do you not care? Do you not see what I'm doing here? I mean, I know I'm not in hours of prayer with you, but, but do you care about me? God, I know I didn't really read through the Bible in 2019, but, but do you care? I mean, 
am I, am I even on your mind? Are you even thinking about me, God? Because I, I know I've got to pay the bills. I've got to get the kids dressed. But are you, are you thinking about me? Because, I mean, what I'm doing, I'm doing for you. I'm doing all this for you. I'm doing what you have told me to do and, and, and take care of my family and take care of my kids. Am I on your mind? I mean, I know I'm not a missionary. I know I'm not some business owner who just gives endless amount of resources to the church, but God, are you thinking about me? I can tell you and Mary have a great relationships and that you like her, but do you like me? And I think we, we get into this mindset of God, are, I don't know if you see what I'm doing. I don't know if you see me paying the bills. I don't know if you see me running around getting my kids everywhere they need to be. I don't know if you see me that I have to do the laundry and the dishes and I have to do all this stuff at my job. I mean, it's not really my personality to, to talk about you at work, but God, do you, do you care? And I think so many times we can get into this mindset that he doesn't, that God is, is not attentive to our daily routine that he's not attentive to all the small details that we have to take care of. And so we start to believe that this is truth, that God doesn't care. And so even when we hear people who pray about small things, we almost get onto them. Like, like, I'm sorry, what did you pray for? You prayed for a parking spot? Do not bother the God of the universe with a parking spot prayer. Now, I would say you've never been to the mall with small children. That's a big prayer request. But... Anyways, don't bother God with such small things as if, as if God is making a schedule according to our prayers. I guess in case God is limited by time and space, even though he created time and space, what we don't need to do is make God natural, human like us, because just because we can't understand how to accomplish it in the natural, don't limit a supernatural God who spoke things into existence. We can come to him with anything, no matter what it is. And Martha just, she says, God, do you care? God, do you care what's going on? Because so many times we can convince ourselves that no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't care. And we don't even think we get so wrapped up with all the little details that we have that we don't even think about bringing it to God. We don't even think about offering up our day-to-day -day routines to God. We just pray for the big stuff because that's all that God really cares about. He doesn't care about the little details of my day. I can't bother him with that. He's, he's too busy. And we think, well, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. But isn't that a lonely place to live? Isn't it an overwhelming place to live? Or if you feel like, I just got to do it myself. No one else can help me. And I'm not even thinking about God doing that because God's not going to pay my bills. God's not going to take my kids to practice. Why would I bother him with that thing? So I, I've, I've got to take care of that. But I'm going to share a verse with you that will absolutely change your life. So highlight it in your Bible. Take a picture of it here. But here's what it is. This is 1 Peter 5.7. Cast all your anxiety on him because what? He cares for you. Look at that three-letter word at the beginning of the verse. All. All 
your anxiety, all your worries, all your frustration, all your doubt. It says, cast that on God. Why? Because he cares for you. I think sometimes we don't believe that. And we think that we can only pray for big things. Like God, God, I just pray for my, my kid's future spouse that they're making the right choice and they're doing this and, and that, you know, God, that my kid wouldn't be so messed up. He wouldn't need as much therapy when they get older, but God, just help them to accomplish big things. Help them to change the world, which I pray those prayers all the time. But what about these prayers too? God, help my, help my son as he goes to middle school today. God, help him, help him to be kind to others. But God, more importantly, help others to be kind to him. God, help Help him to finish his homework. God, help my daughter when I get home. Help her to not be crying again. I'm, I'm exhausted. But we think God doesn't have time to hear about our kids' social life or doesn't care about my daughter's tears. And so we think prayer is limited. Here's what I love about prayer. I love, I love when, when you hear kids pray. And my kids, especially when they were younger, like Zoe, she would just lay it out there. Zoe's my, my youngest. She would just lay it out there. Just, God, um, I love Disney, and um, I love Disney World, and I love toys. God, I love, I love toys and Disney, so can you make us go there? Um, I would love that. And we're like, oh, are you, are you going to bless the food? Or Okay, just Disney. Got it. Cool. Is if God is listening to that prayer and going, oh, my me, Zoe, are you serious? Again with the Disney and the toys? I'm really busy keeping the world spinning and keeping Israel on the map, and you're bugging me again with Disney and toys. You are stressing me out, little girl. Nope. What does it say? All. Cast all your cares on him. I hear people say, I don't know what to pray about. And I just come right back and just say, man, what are you thinking about? What are you worried about? What, what makes you frustrated? Because that's what you can cast on God. That's what you can throw at God. Why? Because he cares. And I know we get into these Martha moments that, that start in the kitchen and then move to the minivan and then move to the carpool line. And then move to soccer practice and then back to the kitchen. And we think, well, it's at that point when I get everything done and everybody down that I can pray to God because that's when he'll care for me. Or maybe it's in this moment right here, this hour of church on Sunday. We get one hour that God will actually listen to us, that God actually cares about what's going on in our lives. And if we can just make it to church, God will care about what's going on in my life because he is the God of Sunday. But what, what if your life was like, God of Monday as well. That he was still in your life on Monday. He would still care about that conversation you got to have with your family that you lost your job and you got to move across the country now. That he would listen to that prayer on Wednesday when you accidentally broke your child's toy and you don't have enough money to replace it. To replace it and it's Christmas. And you say, God, I, I need you to give me some money for, just to, to buy my kid a toy so they can have a nice Christmas. God, would you give me that money? I mean, it's, it, it almost seems shallow and, and maybe even embarrassing. But God's looking back going, man, I love this relationship. 
I love talking about the things that you care about, the things that you worry about, the things that you stress about. I love hearing about that. Man, tell me more. Martha asked Jesus, do you care? Jesus would look back and say, absolutely. I love you. I definitely care about you and you are absolutely on my mind. And I know this because there's another story that involves his family. Jesus is, is, is doing his thing in ministry and, and Mary and Martha have this younger brother whose name was Lazarus, okay? And Lazarus gets sick and he was on the brink of death. And so they write to Jesus because, you know, Jesus is like, boom, walk, boom, see, boom, walking on water, right? They knew Jesus could heal their brother. And so they write to Jesus and say, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. He's going to die. Jesus says, no, he's not going to die. In fact, what he's going to do is he's going to bring glory to God. He's going to bring glory to me. And if you read the story, it absolutely, Lazarus passes away and Jesus comes and, and everybody is, is, he raises Lazarus from the dead. It's this incredible story. And people praise God because of it. He was absolutely right. But there's this one verse in there that I want to point out. And it's in John eleven five. 5. Look what he says. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's a pretty specific verse. He says that he loved Martha and her sister. He is strategically left out the name Mary. And now he loved her. He references her absolutely, but it's almost this message to Martha's everywhere of saying, I love you. I am concerned about you. You are on my mind. I absolutely see you. I care for you and I love you. There's another instance in scripture that's similar to this, to this verse. You know, uh, right before Jesus was, was, was arrested and crucified, he had his right-hand man, you know, his disciple, his name was Peter. And Peter, um, Peter, man, he liked to talk a lot. And, you know, he was, he was bold in his actions, you know. He's like, yeah, God, call me out. I want to walk on water too. And he told Jesus that he was the Christ. And Peter did a lot of great things, a lot of dumb things. But he was, he was right by Jesus. He said, Jesus, I would die for you. I will never abandon you, even if everybody else does. But then the heat comes up and guards show up to arrest Jesus. And Peter does. He gets a little moment of boldness and he takes out his little shank and he tries to swipe it at a guard and messes his ear up. But then when everything, they didn't run away after that, he was like, all right, I'm out. Bolts it. He's gone. Abandons Jesus in his darkest hour. And then they arrest Jesus and they take him away. And that next moment, next few moments, we see Peter, not only did he abandon Jesus, but he denied even knowing him. Not once, not twice, but three separate occasions. People would say, don't you, weren't you with Jesus? I don't know him. I, I don't know him. And the crazy thing is, is that he was probably an earshot of Jesus. So while Jesus is getting tried and mocked and beaten, he hears his boy, his right-hand man Peter saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. That's not me. I don't know, I don't know who you're talking about. So Jesus is he's, he's crucified and he's, he's laid in the tomb. And three days later, 
he rises. And some ladies go to Jesus' tomb to check on things and they see that the, the, the tomb was open, that the stone had been rolled away and sitting where Jesus should have been laying was an angel. An angel who had been given specific instructions to tell these ladies, you're looking for Jesus, he's not here. He is risen. Here's what I want you to do with this information. Go tell the disciples and Peter calls Peter out. Very specifically, the angel was given instruction. Tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because he knew Peter was messed up. He knew Peter was struggling. He knew Peter was ridden with guilt and shame. And he wanted to send a message that, Peter, I see you. I love you. And I've got a huge purpose for your life. No matter your past, no matter what you've done, and we all are guilty of being a, a Peter every once in a while, of messing up and just saying, God doesn't want anything. But he looks at you specifically and he says, I love you. Martha, I see you. I absolutely can see you. And again, it can be tricky being a Martha in a world full of Marys. And we think maybe we're invisible to God, that God doesn't see us because, man, we're praying for this missionary who's, who's a Mary and they're doing big things in the kingdom of God or we're giving money to this, to this Mary because they're doing big things in the kingdom of God. And we just think, what about me? God, I mean, I'm not a missionary, but God, I mean, do, do you care? Are you thinking about me? God looks back and he says, absolutely, I'm thinking about you. You are on my mind and I care about what you care about. You know what I love about the bridge? Is the bridge is full of Marthas. Full of Marthas on this campus, in our Regal campus, and our, our campus that we're about to launch in 2020. Fulcher is going to be full of Marthas because each of these campuses on any given Sunday is going to have give people who have never heard the name Jesus or don't know what to think about Jesus or, or, or even mad at Jesus are going to give them an opportunity to bump into Jesus and experience life change in a way that they never thought possible. And the great thing is that before they get there that day, Martha's are going to be getting the house of God ready for that. I don't know what we would be without Martha. You see, the kingdom of God needs both Mary and Martha. It needs both. Both have a calling. Both have a purpose. So this Christmas, we're getting started, y'all. It is. Thanksgiving's over. It was great. But now it's Christmas time. As you're planning parties, as you're getting the shopping done, as you're, you know, arranging travel plans for family to be with you a little bit longer and it can get stressful, I want you to remember three things, okay? Three things I want you to remember this Christmas season. The first one is this, that God sees you. God sees you. He sees your hurt, he sees your pain, he sees your stress, he sees what you're going through, he sees your loss, he sees all of it. And here's the best part, the second, he cares for you. He absolutely cares for you. He cares that you're hurting. He cares that, that you feel lost, that you're, that you're doubting. He cares that you're struggling. And this is what he asks. Simply cast your worries on Jesus, whatever you're going through. He says, man, give it to me. Give it to me. Because in Philippians, he tells us 
Be anxious for nothing but in everything. Make your request known to God. And here's the promise that comes along with that, that the peace of God will overcome you in a way that we can't even explain or even understand. And he says, man, give me your worries and I'll give you a peace that even if your life has not changed, I mean, the bills are still there. The sickness is still there, but man, you're walking around saying, I know God loves me. I know God cares for me. I know God sees me. I know I'm not alone. This Christmas season, we can celebrate that God came to us, the best gift possible in Jesus. Because why? He cares for us. He sees us. And he simply says, trust me, give me your anxiety. Give me your worry. Christmas doesn't have to be stressful. It doesn't have to be worrisome. No matter if you're a Mary or a Martha, you can know that God sees you, he cares for you, and that you can come to him for anything. Let me pray for us. God.